Hi, and welcome to Undivine Intervention. This is Janine, and on today's episode, I will be speaking to my little sister, Nala, about an experience she had that no child or no person should ever have to experience, but unfortunately, it's the world's reality. She was uh, trapped in a siege and a war in 2007 in the Palestinian refugee camp, Nahar al-Barid. She went um, with my dad to go visit our grandparents who, you know, before they passed away, were still living in the refugee camp and some of our other family members. So it was a pretty tough time and it was also a really bleak time for those of us who you know weren't there but completely lost contact with our family we had no idea what was happening but I guess this is part of the Palestinian experience and what Palestinians especially those who are stateless and refugees those who are bound to to these camps who don't have the right to return who don't have citizenship rights go through Okay, so I'm here with my sister, Nala. Um, Hi, Nala. Hi. (laughs) We actually sound really similar. So when we say like, hey, Siri, both of our phones answer to us. So this might be a little bit confusing, um, but I'm sure we'll get through it (laughs) just now. What just happened? Explain what just happened. Because you said, hey, Siri actually came up on my phone. Yeah, exactly. So her phone thought. It was her. So this is going to just sound like me speaking to myself, really, but um, we'll make it work. So (laughs) a couple of days ago, my sister found a Polaroid photo of herself on a plane when she was, how old were you? Um, I was nine years old. Okay. In the photo. Can you please explain explain what the photo was? Um, so in the Polaroid, um, I was clearly sitting in the plane. <laughs> coloring Why are you being in. so formal? I don't know. <laughs> normal. Okay, so I was just like colouring in. This photo was taken after I left Lebanon in 2007 after the war. War? The war, yeah. What war was this? Um, the war between the Lebanese army and Fatah al-Islam. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't there for long. I was just there for a week, I'd say. Okay, but what happened? So, like, you and Dad went to Lebanon to go because we got family. My dad was born in a refugee camp in Lebanon, and we still have family there. Yeah. So, So why were you? Why were you there? The reason for the trip was that um, my grandfather, my shido, was really sick, and they said that he was going to die really soon. Um, So, my father and I rushed to Lebanon um, to see him, and we were there for about a month. And just before we left, um, we got stranded in the house. Oh, so you were there for a month. First. We were there for a month. Yeah. I thought you were just there for a few days. No, no, it was a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a really spontaneous trip. Like I didn't even know. I was Why'd you go? I don't know. I think cause I've never <laughs> met Jido and Teta. So it was just like Fursa. Okay. To go. Okay. Well, what was, what was it like being, what happened when, like, when the siege, <laughs> why are you so shy? Okay, so you basically got trapped in a siege. 
Pretty much, yeah. Okay. It's quite distressing every time I record the event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I traumatizing you right now? I feel a bit triggered. That's all right. I've, you know, I've seen a psychologist and we've unpacked a lot of this stuff. And yeah, and you were what eight, nine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was nine years old. So what we? So firstly, so that Polaroid photo was mm. when you like coming back to Australia mm. from the war. Yeah. And you were like coloring something in. What, what did you say about the flight attendants? They were so sweet and accommodating. You know, I think they were aware of, um, you know, what I've just been through. So they would constantly offer me chocolate um, and food and snacks. And they gave me these coloring pencils and this coloring. I love board. that. That's like the main thing that you remember. <laughs> like, yeah, it was so, like, I will never forget the Kit Kat. Just one Kit Kat after the other. One of the ladies just kept <laughs> giving me Kit Kat. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you. Yeah, soften the blow of, mm. of trauma. Yeah. Okay, so what, like, so you were there visiting, mm. and when did it break out? Like, what happened? When was the, when um, So, you know, it sounded like fireworks at start. So I asked, you know, Dad, I was like, oh, you know, like, what is that sound? And he's like, yeah, um, there's just, like, an occasion. There's, like, a little celebration. Did he know that it wasn't? No, he knew he, it wasn't. So he, okay. he basically lied to me. Um, you and I. Yeah. And so the way that houses were designed in Lebanon was that there's actually no roof. It's called a supper. So I'd go up the stairs, it's like mm-hmm. a, a set of stairs. Um, and you know, I'd sit on the rooftop and you know, like all of a sudden I see like, you know, exploding. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. But what was exploding? Houses and I saw rockets just going from one place across to another. So you went up to the Sadah by yourself to just just to out. suss it out. I'm like, you know, it just doesn't seem right. You know, everyone seemed on edge, and you mm. know, um, my auntie and grandma kept whispering at times, mm. like when I would be around, because I constantly ask, "What is going on?" And You're they, so nosy. Just shut up and accept. Yeah, no um, fireworks. Yeah, and then I go down and I, I confronted my dad. <laughs> I'm like. I need to know what's going on. How did you, how do you confront me when I, Baba. Yeah. I was like, Baba, show me city. It's not, it's definitely not fireworks. Um, and then like he sat me down and told me. <laughs> he actually sat you down. Yeah. <laughs> just, can you please? <laughs> okay, this is. <laughs> so he sat me down he's like, you know, this is a situation. And then I'm shitting bricks. Wait, what's the situation? <laughs> the what situation is, is that there's a wall that's broken out. <laughs> And that we're practically <laughs> stranded. Yeah. Um. There's no way of leaving. Um. Was it electricity? What was mm. like? What was going on? Like. Yeah. There was no electricity. It just kept cutting. Um. Off. Mm. Nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. We didn't have water at times. And then, it, as the war progressed, like the situation got really bad. Um. Where? Where? Like, did you leave the house? Mm. Like, what was? Or did? You guys just stay in like a room, like paint a picture. So when it felt like when it progressed, when it got really serious, you know, I would keep you. <laughs> no, because this is funny, and I forgot about this. Oh but yeah, okay. It wasn't until Dad brought it up the other day when we were discussing it. So you know, I get really triggered by loud sounds. So when an explosion or a, you know um, gunshot would be fired, and mind you, because it's a subject, the bullets actually fall into the house like the the remnants I think that's what it's called like anyway the shell, the shell yeah. yeah so I'd constantly like keep crying and yelling and I'd ask my my then grandma Alir Hama, um 
She's your grandma. She's still your grandmother. Yeah, but she's not around anymore. Okay. Anyway, so I'd ask her to sit on me, which it's so weird, but it was the only way that I could just like escape the loud sound. But why would you ask her to sit on you? Because she was quite curvy. She was very voluptuous. She was voluptuous. Our grandmother was very voracious. She was so you quite to... thick. Double C. <laughs> Double C. So you yeah. asked her to sit on you. Yeah. So I'd ask her to sit on me and, you know, I actually wasn't wasn't able to breathe, but it was better than, like, not being able to hear, you know. So she actually sat she on She would you? sit on me, yeah. Aww. It was really warm. And like, I felt really safe. <laughs> it was like my safe space sitting under her. Oh, my God. Actually, so I was in the Mukhayam in the refugee camp visiting family a few months ago. So because they the during the war the refugee camp got completely destroyed, they had to like rebuild it. But I was there. I happened to be there during the fifteenth anniversary of like the war, and I had no idea. I just like mm. rocked up. Um, and my God, you would think like obviously people were a bit sullen. But, like, our aunties were pissing themselves laughing, like, recounting <laughs> you. <laughs> Being like, Tata, auntie, I love you. Pull your leg over me. Yeah. And you just were, like, hysterical, which mm. makes sense. I mean, like. It was scary. For them as well, they were kind of, not that they were necessarily, I mean, they were used to it. I mm. guess, like, like dad and his siblings and whatnot, you know, so they grew up yeah. in the Civil War. And, yeah, you're this, like, random kid. From Sydney, mm. you know? Well, what was it like before it all happened? Were you having a good time? I was having the best time. Like, what were you doing? <clears throat> um, You know, just going from one house to another. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Ikhlas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, she was our neighbour. She actually had Down syndrome. So I'd sit, go and visit her every day and she'd make me really nice tea. Yeah. Um, So... That's one of the things that I would do. I'd obviously go into town. I'd go down to Tripoli, um, get Mana-ish. Yeah. Like I didn't really do, you know, anything adventurous or like, wow. Did you play with any of the kids or? Um, No, actually I didn't. After school, after they came back from school, I would. But mm. And they go to school for a really long time, like mm. during the day. They start early and they finish late. Um, And I occasionally would go to different camps as well. Like I went to the Badawi just to do some visits. So just more so like visiting Yeah, because everyone was there to see. Yeah, exactly. And I remember Tetsa would give me like, I think it was like one letter or two letters at the time. And she'd be like, Um, It was so cute. She used to do that with me. Yeah. Mm. So every morning I'd go get Manish for myself. And I'd just, with the change that I had, I'd go to the convenience store and I'd get some snacks for the road. (laughs) <laughs> Even though we're just going next door, <laughs> visiting people. Aww. Yeah. Okay. So during the siege, what other things do you like recall? Um, I recall our house being destroyed, and we had to quickly gather our things. And um, Wait, you were in the house while it was destroyed. Yeah. Like what happened? Um. So like, I think it was a rocket. I don't know the terminology, but. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what weapons were yeah. in destroying the house. Um, but, you know, <laughs> something hit the house and it was really bad. Like, but Were you guys, like, in one room <clears throat> or, like, in a what, – what What were you doing, like, while they were bombing? Um, we were in the Adi. Okay. And so the Adi is connected to yeah. Judo's room. Okay. Where he lays and sleeps because he's paralysed. Yeah. Um, 
So when that happened, you know, we quickly get, gathered our things, popped a jiddo in a wheelchair, and then we rushed out of the house and um, um, we, like, went from house to house, basically, because all the houses are quite close. Mm-hmm. So we're just trying to get, like, shelter. And because, like, you know, it was just, you know, we got attacked. It's like, you know, we mm-hmm. had to obviously get out of there. Where did you guys go? Um, we went to different people's houses. I'm not sure who those people were. But we'd stay there for like a couple of hours and then we'd have to move to another house. And then we kept moving and moving and moving mm. um, until we got to someone's house quite far from like where the destruction was. Mm. Um, and then where we were eventually got, you know, destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. And like we, you mentioned <clears throat> something like how you guys didn't eat much. Yeah, because there was no electricity, water or food. Like everything would go off. Um, we didn't actually have water to mm. drink or had. We didn't. How did you guys? Food. What did you guys eat? Um, we didn't really eat anything. We we're just living off, I guess, like snacks that we found in a demolished convenience store. <laughs> really, yeah. And I remember um, oh. one night. I don't know why I went with um, my auntie and her husband. <laughs> we jumped in this like jeep at like midnight and we drove across at this empty field across the it was like the battlefield yeah and we found these like abandoned apartments these high-rise abandoned apartments and I was told to go into one apartment while they went into another and we we're just like rummaging for <laughs> food and we we're opening up freezers even though everything was like melted and off but like so we, you as a nine-year-old were like off by yourself just rummaging for yeah and I remember just like we were just speeding <laughs> through this like empty field at night and you know it was insane yeah what did you find um I, I remember taking a bag of frozen peas I, don't, I didn't know what I was supposed to do with them <laughs> I didn't really have much thought about it but I just found what I could and I took it and what else did you find that's all the bag of peas <laughs> You weren't really useful. Yeah. (laughs) It was so scary. And I think from memory, um, like we were followed. By who? By another car with um, these like guerrilla fighters and their guns. Guerrilla fighters? What do you mean like Fatah al-Islam? Or like like Palestinians defending like the camp from the two parties? I think it it would have been them. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. God, how traumatizing. And how do you think it's like affected you until this day? Um, it has really affected me. I feel like I've become such a really reserved person after that's happened. Like I've mm-hmm. I've been really quiet since that time. Um and I get really triggered by like loud noises. I remember when I came back, um, and I went back to school and got back into routine, like every time the school bell would ring, I would literally bore my eyes out mm. and my teacher would have to pull me to the side and tell me like it's okay you're not overseas you're not in the war I'd actually hide on the table and cry and oh. block like I'd have my hands over my ears there's no booty to hide mm. under yeah. <laughs> um and yeah and that's obviously a reason leading into like why I wanted to be a teacher because at the time during the war these kids were off school and I was just thinking like damn like these kids aren't going to school you know they're not learning anything and you know as I got older I knew I wanted to work with um you know war-torn 
children and asylum seekers and refugees. And I was so lucky enough to, you know, do my placements at schools where I was able to work with, you know, children of refugees and actually be able to, you know, help them. Yeah, because they've, you know, they've often been through so much. And they're just, it is, yeah. Aww. Yeah. I remember think once like soon after you came there was like a storm or the weather was really bad at home and you absolutely lost it yeah like yeah you thought Mm. we were being like besieged yeah you know like this little Mm. house in you know western Sydney yeah I still get like I still have bad dreams sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night like you know I've broken out in like a night sweat and I'm just like shaking. Mm. I think the last time that it happened was a few months ago. Mm. <clears throat> um, just woken up in the middle of the night. I'm like freaking out. Does it make you wonder how, like, yeah, the Palestinians, you know, still living in the Mohayamat or those who've left but have just lived this sort of thing over and over again or, or different types of traumas? How do they, how do they like manage it or live with it? You know, mm. you see like, you know, our dad and some of our elders. Mm, yeah. And I feel like they really repressed and yeah, compartmentalized. They feel, yeah. You know, it's very, yeah, it's it's sad. But I mean, like, what are what are their outlets really? Like a lot of them, there's still, you know, the stigma attached to seeing a psychologist mm-hmm. or yeah, it's really messy. Yeah. It's really messy. No, I was lucky to access um counseling in primary school and all the way throughout high school. And um, specifically because of this, yeah, because of that. And then when I graduated high school and I was at uni, I voluntarily, like, um, you know, sought my own psychologist and have been mm. seeing them since. Mm. In regards to the the war, so how did you guys manage to get out? Um, from my understanding, my mum called the embassy or the Red Cross, you know here yeah. in Australia um, and they managed to organise a Red Cross to come collect us from the camp. Um, so that was arranged for and when the van came to collect my dad and, and myself, um, this is like the most heartbreaking mm. part because it was just us two leaving the camp and I remember civilians trying to push their way into the back of the van and some people were jumping on top of the van so that they could leave with us. Mm. And I remember my grandma and my auntie was like bawling their eyes out and, you know, my dad and myself like crying as well because we weren't sure if they were going to survive and they weren't sure that we were actually going to make it out of the camp. Um, we did make it out of the camp, but we had to, you know, we made a lot of detours to get out safely. Wow. Um, we just took different like avenues of like getting out. It was really risky, but we were stopped a few times. We were stopped by a huge tank and we all had to get out, prove like our Who was in the in the <clears> van? <throat> was it just in the Red Cross van? Um were there other sort of like There were other civilians who were Australian. Okay. Who were in the camp at the time. Mm. And I, I think from knowledge from like the reporting at the time that there were about like eleven. Mm. So the camp, there's about 30,000 Palestinians that were living in the Harubadid. Um, And at the time of the siege, like 11 of them were like Australian mm. citizens, yeah. like mm. visiting. Or... 
And to this day, I feel like I've got like survivor's guilt. I always think about it because like we left um, with the help of like the embassy and just that image of like people, I don't mean just like one or two people. I'm, I'm talking about like at least 30 people trying to make their way into the van. They're jumping on the van. Even as we were driving off, you know, there were people on the roof yeah. of the van. I mean, I think that's a big part of, you know, the Palestinian experience in a way for those of us who do have, for example, citizenship or happen to be, you know, born in the diaspora or have citizenship, say, you know, in a quote-unquote Western, you know, nation that turns its back on Palestinians and refugee camps and is such a staunch, you know, supporter of the Israeli state and all its crimes, its ongoing crimes against Palestinians. Like, it is, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Like, when I was there a few months ago just to visit, I could go in and I could leave. It wasn't going to be my reality, yeah. you know. Whereas Palestinians living in the camps, stateless Palestinians, I mean, it's so difficult. They don't have papers. They don't have, they don't have, you know, the same opportunities that we have. They don't have the same freedom of movement. It's so oppressive and it's a really hard thing to like contend with, mm. you know, like that guilt as well of being able to sort of move freely. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so fucked, honestly. I can imagine that you'd still have that sense. Mm. I remember seeing like um like dead bodies, you know, t- trapped, you know, in between rubble and buildings. Like I remember seeing a pair of legs. Jesus. Um, yeah, just like that stuff really sticks with you. Actually, there wasn't, I just remember now. This is when we were like moving from house to house. And um, I don't know why we were out side of one of the houses my dad was talking with one of his um, mates and they were just discussing like you know what's going to happen next and um you know where what the plan was and I kid you not when that conversation was done me and my dad like went inside the house and a I, I don't know what the terminology is a rocket you know um a grenade fell or shot in that in that mm. area, that direction that we were, and that guy that he was talking to died. No. Yeah. It's awful. And my and my dad, when he recounts this story, he's like, "We are so lucky because like that could have been us. That could have been me and my dad." I mean, it's just such a again this feeling of like helplessness. It's like yes, you know, you, you recount these stories, and your story, I guess, is like. Unique in a sense because you're, you know, born and raised in Australia. You know, you're the child of like Palestinian refugees. Yeah. You're there going back to visit family in a camp. And so it's not something that, you know, there is different sorts of like intergenerational trauma. But comparatively, you've had like your quality of living has been far better. Yeah, I agree. And so being in that situation as well, say, um, I mean, it's a shock for everyone yeah. and it affects everyone, but, um, you've, you know, you've been able to sort of like in some ways distance yourself from that and like return mm-hmm. back to Australia. And yeah. But those, um, feelings again, like of being triggered, were like really brought up, um, when I was in isolation for two weeks at the time, like during COVID and when they were sending out like troops to come and check up on people. so. When they would come and check up on me every day, I would 
tremble with fear. Like I'd be shaking because these huge guys dressed in their army uniform, like were coming to check that I was home during that time I remember yeah you were texting yeah and so I just began to like imagine what it would be like for people who've actually you know escaped from war-torn countries and they're having to deal with these trips that was so specific to like during the lockdown periods um in Australia in so-called Australia rather the military was going out to check on people living in like Western Sydney and it was like very <laughs> reserved for, you know, parts of Sydney or parts of the city that had a high number of, you know, immigrants. <laughs> so um, it's quite racist. Mm, it really is. Quite yeah. racist. Yeah. I mean, welcome to the fucking colony. But yeah, how do you, how do you try and like cope with, what you experienced and what you saw other family experience Uh, do you have like any ways of of sort of coping or like understanding things that assist you um no not really like I just try to keep myself really really busy and I try to steer clear from anything loud um even when people cough or sneeze like it really like throws me off Mm. and I feel like I'm so alert yeah to those particular things but yeah, I don't really have any like coping strategies. I think my my go-to is to really repress how I feel. Mm-hmm. Even though I am seeing a psychologist, but I always default back to repressing mm-hmm. and just being really quiet about it. And I know that the second time that I went to Lebanon, I think I was I was a teenager. Um I had a really hard time with the idea of going um and like revisiting my camp because it did bring up a lot of those repressed feelings and um when we were there like towards again the end of our trip there was some tension um you know politically speaking um and it was actually quite hard for us to leave Mm. so I remember my mum going to the down to the embassy and we were there for like a whole day and she's just going back and forth with the embassy and we managed to get some tickets out because they weren't actually um no one was allowed to take flights out of Lebanon. Well, yeah. What year was this? I think this was in 2014 mm. from memory. Mm. I know I was a teenager, yeah. And do you remember, I think Dad had mentioned that apparently um, Australian media talked to you guys. Or... Oh, yes, yes. So <laughs> what, what did they possibly want to know? It's like So when we left the camp, in the Red Cross van, um, we were taken to a relative's house in Beirut. Um, and I think, <laughs> did you say you thought it was a hotel? I thought it and was a hotel. Dad was like, yeah. Was- <laughs> I honestly thought it was a hotel. I thought it was just like a, like a shelter. The camp. <laughs> <laughs> They've just put us in temporary accommodation. <laughs> um, and it turns out it was like one of my dad's relatives. Place. <laughs> um, but I, don't recall if it was ABC or SBS, but one of them called me, called my dad, and they interviewed the both of us. Um, How did I get dad's number? I, I'm not sure, actually. A bit it, weird. It is a bit weird. Um, and they just asked us questions about, you know, what happened, how we felt, how we felt leaving especially, mm. leaving our relatives in the camp mm. behind and, like, yeah. yeah, and what did you? What do you I'm remember so what you awkward. Had to say? No. I feel like my awkwardness stems from 
Yeah. Okay, just explain. Just explain. 2007. <laughs> um, what did you say? Do you remember? Can you say it in your nine-year-old voice? No. I'm very scared. Yeah, I... I I was really scared. Like, I remember I was crying on the phone. I'm like, you know, get me out of here. <laughs> I'm like, please get us out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I mean, the reason why I was so I'm just, like, laughing. People are going to think I'm heartless, but, like, if they knew you as well as a child. Yeah. Because like, you were just constantly, like, crying, just in general. Like, wow, I don't remember that. <laughs> no, you were constantly, Way to throw me under no. the bus. <laughs> no, but you always shut your tantrums. And, like, this is, like, a legit reason to have a fucking tantrum. But it's just like... <laughs> oh, my um, God. Yeah, so I just remember, like, you know, begging for, like, help, even though they can't really yeah, do anything. Yeah, because the SBS journalist is right? need to save the day. Yeah. And what did Dad say? Ah, uh, yes, it has been very uh, not good here. Yeah, and I think like he was thanking the embassy and the Red Cross over the phone. <laughs> I guess it's like thanks, but also fuck the whole system. The fact that everyone else, like you said, still has to be stuck or yeah. trapped there. I, that, and it's that like by, really sit well by virtue, me. yeah, by virtue of your fucking passport, yeah, you can you can leave. All right. All right. I think that's right. That, that was a, you know, that was a light. All right. Let's just wrap it up bit right of a now. Light chat. I feel like I'm getting triggered. No. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Oh my God. No, no. It wasn't the internet. Why do you still have a tag on your pillow? I know. I need to remove them. Only because I'm still like organizing like the furniture. Yeah, that's such a like mom thing to do, to be honest. No, I am not. No, I'm not returning all the tags on yeah. all those. Yeah. Yeah. There's still another like, 10 questions that I want to get and I worked out it's going to be like 650 in total um it is insane the amount that cushions are going for yeah like I didn't realize inflation affected cushions like what the inflation affects everything but yeah I mean is there anything else you wanted to add yeah uh no but I feel like I I do feel really guilty like I feel like I could have done more in terms of like, like I told you, like survivor <laughs> skill. You could have picked up more than just frozen peas. <laughs> oh, <my mom's laughs> so you could have. Done. I was thinking of Gazella, but then I realized like, oh, you oh, know, Gazella. there's no cutlery, there's no like, you know, appliances to make anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel really bad like that I've gotten like older, and that's why I said like that's the reason why I went mm. and did um, I did a double degree in education oh wow yeah yeah no I majored in psychology in my first year and then I I and then I dropped it but um I just I wanted to make a difference and I thought you know education Mm. you know would be the way to make that difference well thanks for coming on to speak to me I know this isn't easy and I think, like, the way that we also deal with things, I feel, is, like, through humour mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, taking the piss sometimes. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for tuning in. Say. I don't Please know. like and subscribe to our podcast. I mean, your podcast. Yeah, I didn't even know what it is anymore. This is, like, I mean, the the war ended up going on for three months, but a lot of the Palestinians living there had left by that time, managed to leave. And so they had completely, I mean, the Lebanese army and Fatah al-Islam, some fucking random militant group 
um, having it out with like the Lebanese army in Tripoli and then decided to use, you know, a refugee camp as their fucking battle zone. Mm. Um, they, yeah, they completely just completely destroyed the camp and it had to be rebuilt and it took a couple of years to to also rebuild and so when I visited it was the new mm. it was the new camp yeah sorry to interject no, but no. I just remembered being held at gunpoint by a soldier what happened um I think this was on our way out and when they when they made us like get out of the van and they searched our things and they you know checked our ID um this really tall buff Lebanese man at the Hajjahs, mm, the checkpoint, um, leaving the camp, pulled out his, I think it was an AK-47. It was quite huge. And I just started trembling. I started crying. And, you know, they separated me from my dad because, like, they were individually searching all of us and checking our ID. And I was just freaking out. God. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I'm a kid. Like, put your gun down. Yeah. Don't point it at me. Like, I don't care. the audacity. The audacity, the hubris. Right? Seriously. And I think this is why I could never travel to America for a holiday. Why? Because of the gun violence. <laughs> you know, can you yeah. imagine just being, like, shot at at a convenience store, at a grocery store? Yeah, America's fucked. It's just a bit scary. Yeah. Um, like, as much as I would love to go and, like, do a road trip around America, I could never. Like, my inner child could never. <laughs> yeah, so I really think, you know, um, guns should be banned in america like thank god for australia you know people are just walking around with like machine guns and they're not purchasing guns at walmart and costco can you imagine working at a school in america god and it getting shut up and yeah that's just scary psycho nation yeah completely abnormal nation <laughs> it's not just donald trump know, it's, it's, it's biden gun. it's the, gun the entire well, all of them the nra the yeah. establishment oh my god if i ever democracy my ass <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think we're just going to wrap this up here. There's plenty to talk about. If you found this interesting, let me know. If you want, if you'd like me to be on this podcast again, (laughs) let me know. Yeah, if you'd like, if you thought Nala, okay, Nahla had anything useful, interesting to say and said it, you know, in a way that was engaging enough for you, um, let me know. I might have her back on. Yeah, and Um, if you have any questions, tell me. (laughs) And if there's a really good psychologist out there, <laughs> hit me up. Help me, help, help me. me. <laughs> help me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mental health matters. It really does. And also the military-industrial complex um, completely imploding upon itself matters too. Remember that, guys. And remember to be free. And remember to yes. free Palestine. <laughs> and get analysis, remember to get vaccinated too. So do that. And also free Palestine. Free Palestine.